I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and you're listening to Writers on Writing. My guest today is T. Jefferson Parker, author of A Thousand Steps, published by Forge. He's author of more than two dozen novels, an Edgar Award winner, and a bestseller. This show was originally a Sisters in Crime event. Um, If you want to see the video, you can go to YouTube, go to the Sisters in Crime Orange County channel, and you'll be able to watch it in full. Before we go on, I want to say just a few words, tell you what's new, and that is that we're on Patreon. Finally, it's taken long enough. You can find us on patreon.com. Look up Writers on Writing. So I want to welcome everyone again to the Orange County chapter of Sisters in Crime. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. I'm the president of the chapter, and we'd love to know where all of you are from um, and if you're a Sisters in Crime member. So you could put that in the chat if you're so inclined. And also the chat is where you should um, put your questions, ask your questions of Jeff. Keep your audio on mute, please. And this recording will go on our YouTube page um, channel in a week or so. And if you want to find that and you want to find previous uh, events, go to sistersincrimeoc.com and click on, I think it, I think the tab is um, past, <coughs> past meetings, past events, something like that. And you will go to YouTube and, and see our events and this one will join them. Many of you know Jeff, but for those of you who don't, T. Jefferson Parker has published more than two dozen novels. His novel, Silent Joe, was an Edgar Award winner for the best mystery. Um, it also won at the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books or the Book Prize for that, that year too. A Thousand Steps is Jeff's 27th novel. And if you're moved to buy Jeff's new book or any of his books or any books at all, really, uh, try to shop at independent booksellers. It's the only way we're going to keep them in business. Book Carnival is a shop here in Orange County that carries his work, as well as many bookshops. Um, Lee Child said, might be Parker's crowning achievement. And it has just the best cover, the best cover ever. Um, anyway, Jeff, thank you for being here. And well, thank, uh, thank you. Let's start with you talking about A Thousand Steps and how the book came about. Okay, happy to. Um, thanks for all coming out and being here. Um, hi, Pat Bresky. Haven't seen you in a while. Always good to see your face. Um, how the book came about, A Thousand Steps. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It was, it was kind of a... It, it came time for me to write a book because I'd, I'd finished up the fourth of this little uh, series I was writing about Roland Ford, who's a, a, a PI in San Diego. And it was time to write another book. And I, I didn't really want to write a fifth Roland Ford book. I wanted to write something else, but I wasn't really sure why or what. And uh, this, this happened during, I, I made this realization, I finished that last book and, and I had the realization that I was not gonna write another Roland Ford, but I needed to write something in March of 2020, which is to say the, the, the height of the first COVID lockdown. 
And uh, as, as March reared its, its ugly head and the days went by and I, I, I started thinking about what kind of book I was going to write, uh, I, I just kind of got loster and loster. And I think I, I, I finally uh, kind of escaped into, into my own imagination in a way and, and tried to get away from the terrible headlines and what was going on in New York and all that. And, and uh, I, I started to reminisce and think about the old the, the old days in Laguna Beach when I first discovered that place, particularly 1968, the summer of 1968, when I was 14 years old, and I was just a, a little bucktooth suburban kid growing up over the hill from Laguna in Tustin, and we used to go to our moms to take us down to Laguna and drop us off, me and my friends and my brother and my sister sometimes, and and we would body surf and we would go to the Taco Bell and we'd, you know, sort of peek in the galleries and stick your head into Mystic Arts World and just kind of, I, 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 I experienced that crazy summer of 68 as a, just such a boy, you know, and, and the, the hippies and the, you know, the clothes and the, and the, the hair, the, you know, the smells, uh, you know, the marijuana everywhere, the drug deals going down, the crazy music that was coming out. Everybody seemed to have some sort of a four track or an eight track thing in their car. And there's always blasting this crazy music. And, and again, I was just a kid. And I, I took all that in, though, with a, with a real eager uh, eyes and senses, you know, eyes and ears and, and all. And as I started thinking about that time during the first, you know, the first part of that COVID lockdown, the, those memories, for some reason, just became more and more vivid, more and more specific. And they kept coming up more. I, I didn't realize that I had recorded so much. Uh, of that time, you know, so many of the things that, that, that ended up in the book. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back in time, and I'm going to write about 1968 through the eyes of a, in the book, he's 16, but it's me as 14 year old sort of, you know, re relaying those, those sights and those sounds. And I, and I, uh, you know, I, I've always been skeptical of the, of the term escapist literature when applied to, you know, uh, applied to writers. And, 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 and I always thought that, you know, to be called a, a writer of escapist fiction is kind of a put down. And, and, and I realized as I, as I escaped literally from 2020 to 1968, that, that I, I, I was not just, you know, going to write uh, escapist fiction. I was, I, I was living escapist fiction. So anyway, uh, Laguna Beach in 1968 rescued me from COVID in 2020 is kind of the, the long short answer to how the book came, came about. So I'm curious about um, the fact that this was a more personal project for you. I don't know if it was more personal than any other books that you've written, but how did that affect the process of writing it that, that you were at that time? I mean, you spent time in Laguna Beach um, during the time that you ended up writing about and had a personal relationship with Laguna Beach. You've lived in Laguna Beach. Um, yeah, I had I had awfully. Um, there, there's not much gap between Matt Anthony, the character of this book, and and me, uh, and people I know closely, such as my brother, who's also named Matt. Um, the uh, uh, you know, for me, for example, for for me to sit down and write about a. Um, you know, my last book pre previous to this, you know, the Roland Ford series to write about a, you know, 30 something private eye uh, working in San Diego. Well, I can do that. And I have done that. And, I, and I've written characters, you know, different genders and different ages all over the all over the state of California and more. But there, there, but there was just very little 
to, 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 uh, that, that I didn't understand about Matt before I wrote the first sentence that, that, of, of the book, you know, um, because he, he was, he's kind of based on me and my, my observations and my, my kind of, uh, uh, what would you say, opinionless, um, but very attentive uh, uh, view of what was going on around me in 1968. So I, I felt like I was on comfortable ground the whole way. And, uh, um, and, and I, I put a lot of characters, characteristics into in, into him that are mine and also my brothers and friends of mine and stuff. So I've just felt familiar, you know? I've never written a book uh, with a protagonist who's six, 16, never done it, uh, not even close. And and uh, I wanted I wanted to write a, a, a you know, a, a, a Bildungsroman for, forever. You know, I think writing about, reading about young people, I've read so many good coming of age novels in the past couple of decades. I always go, yeah, I wanna, I wanna try that someday, you know? And it just, it dovetailed perfectly with the, my, you know, my flashbacks, whatever, of 1968. It was just so easy to, uh, um, to, to call on myself and sort of chart my own growth through the, through the, um, th through the course of, of, of the book. So yeah, it's, it's, it's personal, it's personal. And, 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 you know, as a writer that when you're writing fiction, you, you know, every single character you put in there um, is, is, is a part of you. It just is. That's, that's who, that's you, you give birth to it, you know, her or him and, and, uh, no different in this book. It was just a lot it was just a lot easier. It was just a lot easier to do because I, again, because I think my, my, my memories and, and uh, senses at that time were so alive. I think a 14-year-old, 16-year-old uh, kid has wonderful senses and yet almost no perspective. So you can't, you can't really judge what you're seeing. You don't know how to vet it, but, but you record it. And, and so it was easy to call on that as a, as a writer. Do you do character biographies or do you have photos of, of um, you know, fictional photos of who you think your characters are to, to keep you with them, to, to continue to remind you who they are? Do you do that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I do. I keep, a, I keep a, a running kind of biography of each main big character in my books as I write and as they grow from page one on, I add to the biography and the biographies are typically at the end of the, of the file that I go to, I just hit end. And then I find whatever character I'm trying to say something about and, I, and I'll add on, you know, something that he's done or she's done that's important or telling. And, uh, um, I, uh, and I'm a sucker for pictures too. I remember one time I, was, I, I wrote a, a, a three book trilogy about a, an Orange County detective named Mercy Rayborn. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and I remember early on in the hatching of her, I, uh, uh, I described her, I had her in my head kind of, but I was browsing a catalog, I think it was a, it's one of those typical like fishing catalogs or out, probably an Orvis catalog or something that I seem to get, you know, 10 of every, every week. And uh, there was a picture, I, I think it was for, it was just for her blouse and her whatever. It was a picture of this, of this statuesque, beautiful, dark haired woman with a, with a neato sweater. Look, look, look like she's on a boat or something on a yacht, you know, she's kind of breezing up and the hairs and winds in her hair and stuff. And she's got this really excellently cool looking pair of Ray-Ban aviators on, you know, she looks like a, like a CHP officer, but she's, she's a supermodel too, you know? And so I, I cut that out and put it on my wall right here and uh, tacked it up. And, and that became my, uh, my, my template for the Mercy character. So whenever she walked on stage, I would glance at that and I would go, yeah, this is, this is, this is who's doing the talking now. So I, I, I like that. I like that. And I cut, there was another, another really cool recently I used. It was, uh, uh, I, I wrote a, a, a character in the, the very last Roland Ford book. It was, uh, it was called Then She Vanished. And, 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 and the, 
the antagonist in the story is a is a is is an Afghan war war vet who has lost the, the one of his legs from the knee down, and uh, and uh, he, he's a he's a politician and he's a strong guy and he's smart and and and, uh, and he's really and he's handsome and and I and I and I got a picture of him from a catalog too and it was a it was a, a it was, it was a man who was a soldier who had who'd come back and, and lost half his leg and he was really good looking and charismatic in the face and stuff. And he was a model. He was modeling something. I don't, I don't know what it was. But uh, so I, I, I bagged him and I, and I put him on the wall, too, as, as something to something to look at. <laughs> so tell me more about these character biographies. I mean, are you working on these as you go along or do you do a lot of work on who the major players are before you get started? I kind of do it as I go, Barbara. Kind of do it as I go, and um, and, and you know, each 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 time a, a character walks on on stage, if you will, I would, you know, first page, and here's for example, you know, Matt Anthony riding his bike. Um, you know, all, all the things that are happening in that in, in that scene. Um, you know the you know the police and the surfers looking out at this this girl who's who's washed up on the beach. And uh, uh, everything that happens in that scene and in that chapter, um, I, I know I'm going to have to account for later. You know that that's him, and I'm going to have to make him true, and and that is going to have to be Matt. And Matt can't just willy-nilly change from one scene to the next. You know, so each time they come on, I try to get deeper and more truthful into what's going on. The one of the biography things that just <laughs> other writers might be interested in, and you probably do the same thing, is. Uh, I, I find it just confounding sometimes to write a, a 500 page manuscript and, and try to keep birthdays and how old people are and Wednesday from Friday, you know, straight all the all the technical, factual, biographical stuff, you know, and I've found myself, you know, one page she's got, she's got brown eyes and the next page they're hazel and, you know, so all that kind of stuff I, I write down, especially birthdays, because if you try to set the book in a, in a recognizable year, which I generally do, um, then the dates and the days have to track, you know, you can't have October the 28th be a Friday in this year that you're writing about when in fact it was a Tuesday. So all that kind of stuff has to go in. And uh, um, um, yeah, the characters are, are a part of that. But then again, you know, the thing, the thing that's cool and, and, and difficult and wonderful about characters in a novel is, is that in most of them, all, all the big ones usually uh, they really they really do change you know that coming of age is is, is a per, per, perfect three words to describe uh, Matt Anthony in a thousand steps because he's not the same person on page three fifty of the printed book that he mm-hmm. is on page one when he's riding his bike you know and and his his change is uh, um, is is at the heart of the book it's one of the dynamic things of the book it, it, it's just as interesting in my eye and and and. Uh, as you know, the fate of his, his sister and whether they're ever going to find out what what happened to her, you know. So this this change, I think, is really fun and it's really exciting. And and, and again, when he comes he comes on to a stage in the you know, on stage in this, the second chapter, you know, he he's changing, he's moving, he's he's growing, and I and I'm trying to keep up with his with his development, you know. And one of, one of the funnest things to do in, in a thousand steps was. Uh, was to chart his his physical growth, you know. Um, it, it, it's mainly about his emotional and, and psychological and his maturity of becoming 16 and onward towards you know being a man. And 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 but you know concomitant with that is 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 uh, you know his physical changes and stuff, you know. And, and as we intercept Matt on you know chap, chapter one, he's chronically hungry. He's going through an unimaginably 
a big growth spurt that he doesn't understand even what it is. Halfway through the book, he realizes he does some measurements. He gets on the scale that he used to use all the time. He realizes he's gained 20 pounds in like six weeks and he's gained, you know, two inches of height in less than six months. And he's just getting bigger and bigger. His clothes don't fit. His shoes are tight. And uh, he's always starved. He just, he's always hungry. He's always hungry. So charting his, his, his hunger throughout the course of the book was really, was really interesting. And, and, and of course, I, as a, as a fisherman, as an angler, uh, especially who fished down in Laguna quite, you know, a lot. Um, I thought, you know, I got to get a fishing scene into this book. I, I, Matt's going to be a, he's going to be a fisherman, darn it. You know, I, I want to get a little bit of, you know, fishers of men in there. And I want to get a little bit of Hemingway in there. And I, and I want him to, I want him to be a, a fisherman. And I realized when I had him going down, I realized before I wrote the big fishing scene in that book is that the reason that he fishes is not because it's not for sport. He fishes because he's hungry. And that's one of the ways that he puts food on the table for himself and his mom, who's kind of, you know, kind of got her own problems. And so, um, yeah, the physical changes and the psychological changes and all the, all that good biographical stuff uh, is, uh, um, it's, it's at the heart of the story, I think, in a way. And I think that's why it, it was interesting for me. You know, a, a fully mature character, you know, protagonist like Roland Ford, for instance, or Tom Shepard in Laguna Heat or whatever, a 30-something person. I mean, you know, they may or may not, you know, have changes or whatever, but they're pretty much they're, they're pretty much open books by then, you know, and Matt's not, you know, we have no real idea what his future is going to hold for Matt. And he is not, he, and he's not, he, he's, he's much more of a puzzle than he is a, a, a known entity that I just have to describe. Well, plus, you know, there's all these hills in Laguna Beach and he's biking all over the place and he, you would get hungry doing this, right? I got hungry writing those scenes. <laughs> Rita, my wife, said that yesterday. She goes, well, I was thinking about that scene in the book where Matt's so hungry that he's doing this or whatever. She goes, you know, I think I was hungry the whole, whole time I read that book, you know? <laughs> well, talk about blending fact with fiction because, you know, you, Timothy Leary's in your book. I mean, you're dealing with some factual things that were going on at that time in Laguna Beach. And, you know, how much license do you give yourself to embellish what really happened? I mean, because it's fiction, right? So, so how yeah. how beholden are you to the facts? Yeah, well, um, not very. To tell you the <laughs> truth, um, when, when I, however, when I, you know, employ or deploy a, a, a real person such as Timothy Leary onto the pages of my fiction, um, I'm. I, I'm, I'm very, I'm as careful as I can be not to depict him in any way that's, that wasn't him. You know, I try to be as truthful to his, you know, his, his life and his words and his writings as I could. And, and so I, 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 you know, when, when, when the truth is there, then you must, you, you must adhere. But, you know, the, the easy way around that for the novelist, of course, is you just invent a guy and his name isn't Timothy Leary. It's, it, it's, it, it's Nathan Theobald and he's an LSD guru from Harvard, you know, and then you just write fiction. Um, but I like putting in the real stuff. I like putting in the real streets. And if there's a, there, there's a big swashbuckling character like, like Timothy Leary, uh, you know, spouting off at the mystic arts world and inviting people to take acid and stuff, I want him. And, and if there's, a, there, there's this grizzled old, you know, man from, from the old world uh, named Eiler Larson, also known as the greeter, who would just stand on the corners in Laguna and wave at cars and tourists all day, every day. I saw him a million times, you know, I had to put him in there. So um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I, I gotta remain as true as I can to things, but, but, but I, I will also, 
Um, for example, okay, Mystic Arts World plays a big part in this book. A lot of really important scenes take place there. And the characters who run that place and who, who habituate that place, like Matt, um, they're, they are, um, they're, 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 they're all fictional characters, except for Leary, who's there one night doing a lecture. Um, Matt and these other people that I invent are kind of composites of people who would go there. So I have on one hand, um, the factual mystic arts world. And then I have on the other hand, it, it, it's bustling with these characters who I've invented. So th th that's a good example of, of, of using, using a, a, real, a real truth or a real setting and then kind of changing it for your um, purposes, which I, I freely admit to doing a lot. Mm. Um, Maddie had a question about something you talked about earlier, and she said, did any revelations um, or insights about your past arise during the process of writing this book? Revelations or insights into my past? Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know. Not, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't surprise myself. <laughs> <laughs> I I know my my, my age I I don't have any real surprises. Uh, one thing that the one thing overriding thing that that I that I uh, surprised myself with in in the writing of this book was the level of detail and um, a, a experience that that was in my memory. You know, as I mentioned before, you know that that psychedelic underworld of of Laguna Beach was 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 fascinating to me for reasons that I didn't even really fully. Um, you know, understand why, but I, I just sensed that that you know, one, the, you know, the world, the world is changing around me. People don't dress like that. People don't have hair like that. People don't talk like that. And this kind of music is brand new to me. You know, stuff like that. I sensed that things were changing, and uh, I, uh, but, but I, and I didn't know what my place would be in that in, in that future world. Um, so you know, you know, flash forward again back to 2020 when I first started writing this book. The uh, um, you know, the, the ferocity and the detail that came back to me was very, very, very surprising. And, and so I don't know if I learned anything about myself, but, but I, I certainly did surprise myself with, with the, you know, with the, 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 the real, the newsreel that I'd been recording for, for all that time. Mm. So talk a little bit about choosing a third person present tense. What went into deciding that voice? That's a good question. Um, it's a really good question. I think the I think the third person present tense uh, gives this book a, 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 a large amount of its of its charm and its and its uh, its pixie dust. Um, and I again I I'd, I'd never chosen I'd never written a whole book in that fashion before. I've written third person, of course, a lot, and you know a little bit. Uh, parts and chapters and sections in the present tense, but I'd never just give, given myself over to, you know, one single, you know, viewpoint character, you know, a third person voice and a first, first person and a present tense, you know, presentation. And, and so it just, it felt right. It sounded right to me. And, and I felt that that present tense was and is um, when just a wonderful uh, way to grab grab a reader and, and, and to put that reader in, in, in the story in a really generous kind of open way, you know? It, it, it's, it's not remembered, it's presented. And, and, and I think that's really, uh, really cool. Again, I've been, I've been reading a lot of, uh, I've read a lot of, I mean, you know, the present tense is real popular in, in, in fiction these days, past couple of decades anyway. 
And I've just read so many of them that are good, you know, it made me want to kind of try that on. And, and, it's, and I, I wrote that first chapter several, you know, different ways to try to get, try to get the, the mix and the voice and the ten, tense and everything right. And when I tried that, that, that first, that present tense, you know, solely seen over the shoulder and through the thoughts of Matt, um, that clicked for me and, and it just felt instinctively right to, uh, to carry that, to carry that through. And I think one of the things that, that, that uh, gives this book, uh, um, you know, kind of a lurching forward, you know, headlong kind of pace uh, is, is that, that present tense, you know, it just, it just moves you from one very focused, intense scene to another one, you know, not, not a whole lot happens up here in Matt. I mean, we know his thoughts and, and all, but basically he's, he's doing something in every scene. And when you write that in the, in the present tense, it, it, it can just really, really be uh, uh, fun, fun to read and fun to write. So we are back. It's two weeks later. Um, the first half of this um, interview took place two weeks ago, and then we were Zoom bombed, and uh, it kind of disturbed the whole thing. And Jeff was was uh, nice enough to come back and continue the interview, and it was kind of crazy. If you've never been Zoom bombed, it's uh, it's <laughs> a little insane, would you say? Yeah, it was quite a surprise. It was quite a surprise. I'm, I'm glad we can do round two and, and not let the bad guys win. Me too. Me too. I don't think, I don't think we'll be Zoom bombed today. But what, <laughs> what we were talking about when that happened was um, I had um, asked you to go back to the beginning of your publishing career, which was Laguna Heat. And because I remember, you know, we've talked a bunch of times and you said that, um, you rewrote it many times in different voices before you found your voice for the novel. And you wrote it on the typewriter and you know, you borrowed the typewriter, you were working as a journalist. Can you <laughs> talk about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, those were those were great years. I had just I had just started working at the Newport Ensign newspaper right down near where you live. It was Corona Del Mar, yeah, Coast Highway. And I was recently out of college. I think I was 25 years old, maybe. And uh, um, I, I, I got a job as a newspaper reporter there, and I was I was covering all sorts of different stuff for this little paper. I cut, covered city hall and and uh, you know education. I, I, I covered arts and books and and uh, uh, cops, everything you know that a young reporter does. And and I, I wanted to be what I really wanted to be at that point in my life though was a, a novel writer. Or working my way towards it. So every day after work, when the when 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 it hit five o'clock on the uh, on on the clock on the wall in front of me, I would I would grab my typewriter and and uh, um, I, a little stack of paper, typing paper, and wrap the cord around the paper to hold it to the to the typewriter, and then take the typewriter home. And after work, after after dinner, I'd work on my uh, work on my my novel. And that went on for years, years and years and years and years <laughs> until I, I was no longer a reporter and was working uh, for a, an aerospace company in Newport Beach called Ford Aeronutronic. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so during those five years, I, I wrote the book five times. And uh, um, each time that I wrote it, 
it came out in the voices of the heroes that I had in my mind. You know, I had a draft of bad Hemingway and a draft of bad Gabriel Garcia Marcus and a draft of bad Jim Harrison year after year after year. And finally, after five of those, I, I, I made a deal with myself and I said, write this thing one more time if you can and try to do it in your own voice and just ban all hero voices. You know, don't sound like them. If, if it sounds like them, then get rid of it. Uh, don't don't write it, you know. Or actually think about it ahead of time, because this was back in the days of typewriters, you know, so you couldn't just delete something. You had to you had to tape it out and all that kind of stuff. So taught you to think ahead, you know. Uh, so anyway, I, I spent another year, year six, writing that book, and I, I finished the draft, and I read it at the end, and I was finally, the first time, I was really stoked and really happy to see that I'd written a book in my own voice. It was just wonderful, you know. It wasn't, I knew it wasn't a great book, but it was a pretty good book, and uh, it was all me. I wasn't me trying to funnel trying to channel these heroes of mine you know so my 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 advice my advice to young writers or, or aspiring writers is is to you know uh, enjoy and indulge and, and and immerse yourself in your heroes until it's time to write and then do your best to forget about them and and, and proceed with your own with your own tone of voice so so that was a little bit about you know kind of how I how I, I I went about it and I, I was really surprised to see how much um how much the book changed and grew over those those six drafts you know that's a long time six years is a long time to work on one story and so that story really evolved it, it changed a lot from when I began you know draft one to when I finished draft six and and uh then I rewrote it again for my editor after it was sold so uh, a lot of work went into that and, and and I think that you know if anything is is instructional for uh beginning writers young writers it's it's uh, don't be afraid to do that and realize that it, it will take you time um, um, to, to to write to get your book the way you want it. It's not always going to take six years. I know writers who have done it in six months, but um, uh, it, it, it can take time. And so be prepared for it and, and, and learn to enjoy it. <laughs> you remember how you found your voice, though? I mean, you, you know, was it a matter of reading aloud was it a matter of word choice was it a matter of what you know I mean because we're so influenced by our heroes and what we read um can you go into that a bit more yeah sure the uh I think the uh um you know to me when I read and I think when most people read especially fiction um there's a uh uh there's, you know, there's a rhythm and there's a music to the to the voice, to the language, you know, M music's the wrong word, but um, there is something um, as, 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 as uh, distinctive and as uh, unmistakable as, uh, as the, the melody of a pop hit, you know, everybody knows what, you know, she loves you, yeah, 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 sounds like, and, 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 and a piece of writing will have something that distinctive in it if you're reading it carefully enough, so I think so I, I think for me as a, you know, as, as a reader, I fell in love with those writers because they had the kind of music that I like. It was just kind of a, a thing with your ear, you know, or your, your brain, you know, and, and, um, and so, so copying, like, like just take for an example, Raymond Chandler, I should have included, I had a, a draft of bad Raymond Chandler, all, all mystery writers <laughs> do. And, uh, and, uh, um, you know, and, and his his voice and his attitude, his music is so is so loud on the page. You know, it's so unmistakably him. You know, it's so it's hard it's so hard to take your eyes off it and your ears off it. You know, because it's so strong and it's so distinct and it's so so him. So I think I think one of the one of the things that I tried to do after five frustrating years of of copying my heroes was I um, was I, I 
I, I, I try, I, I just, like I said, I, I quit, I, I quit trying to do something, say something that they would say, and I tried to say it my own way. And I remember right, very first sentence of the book, I mean, perfect example. Um, I, I sat down to write draft six, and I, and, and I knew that I was going to write only in my own tone of voice. Well, that's all I had. So I, I started cobbling together the first sentence. And I worked on that first sentence all the way from morning till lunch, I think it was on a weekend. I worked hours and hours pushing this. I, I had the basic sentence in my head. I blurted it out, looked good, sounded good. I thought it had all the nice qualities that a, a opening sentence should. And um, I, I played around with it, moving commas and clauses and all that kind of jazz. And, and finally, it, 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 I don't know, four hours after that, you know, the, the, I had a sentence that, that, that I, I recognized because of all the listening that I'd done to all these people, great writers and, and less, I realized that I had something that I'd never read before. I go, oh, this is interesting. This doesn't sound like any of those guys. Doesn't sound like anybody I've, I've ever read. Um, so it must be mine, you know? And so I, I kind of just eliminated the, eliminated the obvious and, and, and tried to go with that. And then as soon as I, I had that first sentence down, it was a good first sentence and I liked it. And, uh, I thought, you know, that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to clone the rest of this book, the next 500 manuscript pages, I'm going to clone directly from that, <laughs> from that, <laughs> that sentence, you know, and, and I did, I grew it, you know, it's like, it's like I had the genome down or something and I could recreate, or I could create this thing uh, based on the, the, the DNA of that sentence. And, 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 and again, that goes back to your ear and what you've read. And in and, and, and your memory, I guess, you know, and, and another thing that I always advise, you know, writers, uh, young and, and older who are starting is to, uh, um, you know, is to read, is, is to read up, read, read the good guys so that you're, you're, so that you're filling your head and your ears with these, with these, these wonderful, you know, sentences. And I think that's how you learn, you know, I, I'm just as a semi irrelevant aside, I'm, I'm half Three, three quarters of the way through a cloud cuckoo land right now, the the, the uh, Doer book from last year. And, and the guy is just so good. And, and the book is just so rich. I mean, every page, you can just dazzle you with, with just the sentences, let alone what's going on, you know? And, and so, you know, you read enough, you read a book like that, you know, three times or a hundred books like that over the course of your lifetime. And, and you, you learn, you learn tons. So read up and, and, and don't copy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, your first sentence of Laguna Heat is one of my favorite first sentences of all time. It's just a gorgeous first sentence. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so, it, holds, it holds water still. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was curious, though, because you were at UC Irvine in the English program. You got a BA there. Mm -hmm. So had you considered the MFA program or why did you decide to go straight into journalism? Well, you know, because I, I wanted to do what him did. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted to come. He didn't go to college, but uh, he went straight into journalism early, right. teenager, I think, and uh, uh, became a really good reporter. And so I wanted to do that because I thought that reporting, newspaper writing would be the best way to learn how to write for publication. And it would get me out into the world and away from the, you know, the, the uh, you know, the halls of academia, you know, colleges, you know, that I didn't want to write a college novel. I, I wanted to write something else, you know, and, and so... Um, it was easy to leave school that way. I, I felt like I'd done my homework and got my degree and all that good stuff. And I, I learned a ton about literature and that UCI is a great school. And, uh, um, and, and, and yet I didn't have a single 
fact, you know, that I could say anything about my life and I hadn't done anything in my life. And I thought, well, get a newspaper reporter's job. At least you can see what other people are doing, you know? So you're, you're sort of a spy, you know, when you're a newspaper reporter. And if you're and if you're a closet fiction writer, which I was, you're definitely a spy, you know? I mean, I was making notes and, and stashing those from the first day I worked as a newspaper guy. And a lot of that ended up and has ended up in my books, you know? So um, it was it was an easy, it was an easy choice for me um, and, and, and yet at the same time, that for my very first day as a newspaper reporter on, I, I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I could tell, like I just look around me and go, no, this is not what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to do it now because I have tons to learn, um, but I don't want to, I, I want to be a fiction, I want to be a novelist someday. And so I, 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 I kind of approached my newspaper job with a, a very mercenary kind of, kind of attitude. And the authors you cited that you were writing Laguna Heat like, at least mm -hmm. trying to before you found your voice, Jim Harrison, Ernest Hemingway, Raymond Chandler, literary writers and mystery writers. So did you want to write a mystery? Did you know that was going to be the first book or, or were you just playing around and it just kind of happened? I mean, because genre and literary are so often divided in terms yeah. of you know, yeah. I mean, the Faye programs are often all about literary fiction, except yeah. for very few. Very true. Very true. And that's a good question, you know, and the way it happened is kind of interesting. It was very specific how that happened that I that I wrote uh, Laguna Heat. And that was based on the fact that prior to Laguna Heat, I wrote a literary novel. I was just out of college um, and I mean, just out of college. And uh, it was a it was a. a, a uh, a Bildungsroman, you, I guess you'd call it a novel of learning, you know, not quite a coming of age, but kind of, and it was about a young surfer growing up in Newport Beach in a rich family and his, his, his father uh, absconds with the, the family fortune and his, and his beautiful young secretary and vanishes from this young man's life. And so the book is a, is a, it's a mystery in the sense that it's a boy looking for his father, man looking for his father. But um, in, in the bigger, in, in a lesser sense, it's, it's much more of a literary book, you know? Um, so uh, I wrote the book and it was, it was a brief little thing, 220 manuscript pages, I think. Uh, I put it in a, I, uh, I, I, I printed it out and I thought it was okay. And I sent it to an agent that I had met and he was a good agent, good young agent at uh, Delacorte Press in New York. And, and uh, he read it and got back to me a couple of weeks later. And he said, well, Parker, you know, um, I, I, I can't publish this, this story. And nobody in New York will publish this story because people in New York don't care about surfers growing up in Newport Beach. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, I, I, I get it. You know, that's fine. And he goes, but, you know, to your credit, I mean, you have, you have a little bit of talent and you have a lot of um, um, stick-to-itiveness because you wrote the whole book. You know, most first-time writers never even finish a book, you know, so you, you finish the damn thing. And uh, this is what I would do if I were you. This is Morgan talking. He said, uh, get the New York Times bestseller list and start, you know, read, read it every Sunday and see who's reading, see what America is reading, you know, and pick something out pick out something like what you see on that list and write it. And that will give you a chance of having written something publishable. So um, I forget who the, who the specifics were back then in 1980, when, when I was given that advice, uh, 78 maybe. Um, but it was, uh, I, I think Robert Parker was big on that list then. And, and John D. McDonald was still big and kind of fading, but still around. And there was two or three mystery guys. What about and, Susan uh, Isaacs? Was she huh? Susan Isaacs? Was she, I think yeah, she was trying to publish them mysteries. Yeah. Funny mysteries. She was on there. She was on there. And then that was a little bit pre 
um, pre uh, um, the great Santa Barbara writer, uh, Sue Grafton, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit earlier than her. But anyway, so I picked like three mysteries, uh, mystery kind of authors because I, I'd, I'd read or heard of their work and I'd read kind of the classic mysteries when I got out of college, you know, I'd read Chandler a little bit and, 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 and uh, you know, the others. And so I, I kind of had an affinity for that. And so I, I said, okay, I'm gonna take Morgan, the editor's advice, and I'm gonna write a mystery uh, and I'm going to set it in Laguna Beach because I had just moved there and I was I was captivated by its its charms uh, and um, and it's going to be a father son story because that's that's uh, um, my father was hugely influenced influential in my life and and uh, um, so I wanted to write a father son story a mystery uh, set in Laguna Beach. And that set me on my course. So I, 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 I changed course. I went from being a one-time literary writer to a one-time mystery writer <laughs> over the course of those six years. And, and then, I mean, the obvious question is, well, why do it again? And, and, and the, uh, um, you know, Laguna Heat, I was so lucky. I mean, it, the book did so well. I mean, it was, it was a bestseller on the West Coast and, and other stores. And it was other states. And it was uh, uh, well-reviewed. And, and uh, HBO made a movie about it, one of their first, you know, entertainment movies that they made themselves. And, and so I, I naturally wanted to write another another mystery. And, and, and so I did. I, I wrote a book called Little Saigon, which is a mystery set in, in the Vietnamese community in Orange County. And that book is a real hybrid. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a literary mystery for sure. It's, it's kind of highbrow. It's long. It's, it's complicated. It's, it, it, it's got a lot of kind of literary language in it, I think. And, 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 and that for me was kind of a, you know, that, that, that represents a lot of what I've done my entire career. I'm basically a mystery writer. I've written a few titles that are not mysteries at all, um, but most of them are, and and most of them have, uh, I hope, you know, good solid literary underpinnings. I'm I'm trying to hybridize the two, as as all as all writers do. You know, every every mystery writer is trying to bring good literary, you know, sensibility to their to their stories. So so I'm kind of a kind of a hybrid in that way. And 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 it, it's kind of the way it worked out, you know, if the if the if the little book about the surfer in Newport Beach had had <laughs> if Morgan had gone, oh I love this book, I'm gonna publish it and turn that into a bestseller, I'd probably be still writing, you know, novels about surfers in Newport Beach. <laughs> well it's interesting though because a thousand steps takes place in Newport Beach. And while it isn't specifically about a surfer, it's still, you know, it's a Newport Beach kind of beachy read. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, A Thousand Steps is just, is, is pure beachy read. Pure, it's pure Laguna, it's pure Southern California, it's pure Orange County. And, and as we talked about earlier, I think, uh, on, on this show, <laughs> two weeks is a long time. I kind of forgot what we covered. <laughs> two but weeks, yeah. it, as we talked about, I think it was, uh, you know, that was a book that was, that was inspired almost totally by my my sort of infantile memories of Laguna Beach experienced by me personally when I was 14 years old. So a lot of that, you know, the personal history and, and my observations and memories and 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 senses regarding Laguna Beach in 1968 as a as a as this scrawny little suburban boy um, informed that informed that book. So it, it's a that book comes as much from my own experience, probably more. Yeah. from my own experience and anything else I've ever written. I mean, I have a, I have a lot more in common with Matt Anthony, the hero of Thousand Steps, than, than, than I ever will with Tom Shepard, who was mm -hmm. the police detective star in Laguna Heat. It's mm. interesting. Well, how did you learn to plot? Because uh, you've, been, you've been commended for your intricate plots. How did, how did you learn that? Yeah, you know, just just repetition. I think hard work over and over again. My 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 going in position on 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 on, on a novel 
uh, especially of the mystery type that I usually write, um, is, is, is always to make, to make, to make the to make the pages turn. It sounds shallow, but it's not. Um, and, and, and the way that I choose to do that, I hope to do that, is by 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 action. And I, I don't mean car chases. Uh, I mean I mean characters confronting each other for you know for 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 reasons and uh, and, and the consequences of these of these conflicts and then the the resulting thing that goes on to 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 build the story. You know, um, I, I guess I've always had a phobia of of. Uh, um, writing writing too long and writing maybe too leisurely so I, I try to I try to write with velocity you know I I, I, I want things to be happening and happening fast and uh, you know nobody would ever accuse me of writing you know novels that are that are um, you know fantastically you know, o o overly nervous you know I mean I, I can take my time and I will but uh, I, I like to uh, I, I like to keep the action going and one thing that I always thought was really important in plotting was to, um, I mean, obviously you need to have, you know, your the hero who's after something and an antagonist who's, who's, who's in his way. But, uh, but I, but I always like the idea that, that uh, um, you can, you can, you, you can keep the pages moving by, by writing well. And, and I think that you can do that. Like when I sit, when, I, when I'm in a bookstore, I'm reading a, a part of a book, you know, a, First few pages to see if I want to read it or not, or buy it or not. I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll pay great attention to the. I'll give my full devotion to the author, you know, for a page or two. And uh, um, if, if I can, if, if I feel at the end of even a page or two that I'm in good, trustworthy hands, that this author is not going to try to bullshit me, um, then then I, I will I will go on and 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 read another page. And and. Uh, um, and so there's a certain amount of trust I try to build up, you know, with the with the with the authority of the language and things. And that's why when you're a novelist and you make a mistake on something like you you have the wrong caliber gun or something, you know, just your 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 balloon goes you know goes pop and 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 down it comes through the sky, you know. So you you kind of got to get get everything uh, everything right. Well, speaking of the first couple of pages, um, as a reader, that's what we're looking at, right? That's what takes you into a book or, or throws you out. How much attention are you paying to your first page, your first two pages, your first chapter? I mean, will you just go over it endlessly until you know you can't do anything more? Or how yeah. do you know when it's done and right? Yeah, I, I just beat up on that first sentence and that first and first chapter, especially. I, I read it almost every day in the year that it takes me, say, roughly to write a book. I'll read that first page at least every day and I'll change it and I'll keep changing it all the way through the year. And uh, at some point you have to let go of it, you know, and, and, and usually my first pages are, are pretty good. You know, I mean, <laughs> might, might get in a little trouble midway through, but the, the first chapter is, 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 is going to be good. And, and, uh, uh, so yeah, and that's just repetition and, and, and beaten up on a, a, a lot. I, I, I love I love writing the first draft of things. You know, I, I like writing that first page, and I like writing the first chapter, and I like writing the whole first draft. I mean, I really like it. You know, some books are are not enjoyable to write, but most of them are for me anyway. Most of them, and I enjoy that day to day um, sort of uh, coming into the office and and and. Uh, um, seeing what I've done, I always read the first chapter, the first page again, like we're saying, and uh, then I'll go forward to where I am and read what I wrote the page before that, and then and then I'll try to pick up on, 
you know, wherever I was the day before. And, and I like that search. I think it's really interesting. I mean, you, you know this as an author yourself, a fiction maker that, 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 you know, you may, you know, when you publish your short story in, 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 in Palm Springs Noir, it may appear that you had that whole beautiful, complicated, neato thing all figured out ahead of time. And all you had to do is write it up, you know, and people think that about novels too, you know, non-writers and because they read that way, you know, it's like, oh, this is perfect. How did he do it? Well, he just wrote it up and, you know, had a good outline, but, but you know, and I know that that's not how it happens. It changes day to day with that, that short story that you wrote and the novel that I write, same thing. It's just, uh, um, you, it, you grow the thing and it's kind of interesting being along. Sometimes I feel like a, I feel like a horseman. I feel like I'm on the back of something and I'm just kind of hanging on, you know, I'm just kind of riding it. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful feeling when the story, uh, you know, kicks in and, and starts helping you, write it rather than, than bucking you, you know? <laughs> you, I'm sure you know that feeling. Do you have rituals before you start writing? Is there anything you have to do before you actually sit down? Let's see, rituals, you know? Yeah, I do. I, I you know, I, I, I get up, I, I get dressed, I pour the coffee, I collect the dog. And in this case, he's a little, little kind of a, mutt that I got that we adopted from a shelter in, in Fallbrook. Anyway, he's got a whole story, but it, I, I collect him <laughs> on the leash and uh, we, we, we walk from the front door of the house about, I think I counted him once, it's 75 steps from the front, front door of my house to the door of my office. And the office is just a humble sort of metal building that I'm in right now that's a part of it is finished off as a library and here, computer and stuff like that. So um, I follow that, I follow that, you know, pretty, pretty religiously. And I sit down, the first thing I do with the computer is I, is I call up the front page of the LA Times. And I, I you know, these days I see what, you know, the Russians are doing to the Ukrainians and, and I'm, I'm riveted by the news as most of us are. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do stuff like that. And, and as I, you know, clear the fog, and then, um, you know, I just, I just go to front, I go to my file and I call it page one and I read it again for the, mm -hmm. you know, hundredth time sometimes. And I go, okay, this is looking all right. And then I'll scroll through and, and, uh, and if, if I'm, if, if I'm lucky, I will have uh, left the paragraph unfinished or even the sentence. I love leaving a sentence dangling like that. The sentence is half done on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, you know what your job is. <laughs> well, all you have to do is finish the sentence, you know? And, and so I, I like doing that. Uh, and so those are, those are, those are my rituals and, and I stick to them. I, I, I'm one of those get up at the same time in the morning and do the same thing at the same time each day kind of people, you know, the older I get, the more, more on time I seem to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So I remember you said, I think in two weeks ago, you might have said when we talked that um, that the story for A Thousand Steps had been brewing for a while. You know, it was a story. And it, actually, we talked about it a year ago, too. And you were looking forward to this book, working on this book and getting this book in. So does that typically happen where you're involved in a project, but you know what the next one is or, or a couple down the line? You know, are you working on something now that you were thinking of when you were working on A Thousand Steps? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I am working on something now that I was thinking about. Well, no, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. I, I'm, no, no, that almost never happens to me. I, I think I mentioned Thousand Steps steps to you way back before I wrote it or I was just starting to write it um, because it was clearly going to be my next book I think and it, but that wasn't like a book previous or anything it was 
it, it, it was that. I'm, I'm terrible at thinking ahead. You know, I have clip files and notes on books I'd like to write or ideas that I think are cool or just articles that I, I print and put in, put in a box, you know. But um, um, I, I don't think I've ever been midway through a book and, and starting to form solid mm -hmm. ideas about what the next one's going to be. I, I just don't. I, I, my, my mind just shuts down. I do 100% concentration on that book and, and I don't feel free to um, begin seriously speculating about the next book until 98% of the work is done yeah. on the, the book I'm on now. Um, but as you know, you know, being, being a, a published writer, the lag time between when you finish the manuscript or what you, you begin, you finish the manuscript of one book and you begin, and then it's time to publish another one. I mean, that's like so much time goes by, you know? So, so um, um, you know, I'll be thinking like, I'm finishing up this book that I'm working on now. Um, and then it'll be for next year, and and uh, um, I'll, I'll have another couple of months of work on it probably. And when I'm done, which will be this year, easily this year, um, I'll, I'll put on my thinking cap and 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 get get thinking about what I want to want to uh, write about. You know, like like this morning. I mean, I, I read the paper like I always do. This is Sunday, that whatever it is, whatever the tenth, Sunday the tenth, uh, front page LA Times story about about the possibilities of the state of California being able to save its native salmon. Long scientifically based kind of article and covers how the salmon live and what they do and how they how they, they spawn and all. It's just unbelievably beautiful stuff that a, a, a salmon can do, you know? And, and then one of the, you know, one of the, one of the articles, one of, one of the, one of the links down way down deep in the story that the times is great. They, 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 in, in the text of the story, they underline it in blue if it's a link, if it's a topic, mm -hmm. if they have something relevant to say. You, I'm sure you know this. So way down in the text was, uh, was uh, some mention of, of the state of California's um, organized um, governmental extermination of, of Native Americans, genocide of Indians. And I go, oh boy. And so I clicked that and read it. And I knew most of that, but it just hit me all over again. It's like, it hit me so hard what this place was like in 1850 you know and it made me want to write a book about it you know? <laughs> I, I don't think I ever will you know I can't see Jeff Parker writing a mystery set in 1850 with salmon and, and Indians in it but uh, you never know it makes you you never know and it makes you want to write you know and and, right. and, 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 and again not to beat a dead horse but you read a book like um, Cloud Cuckoo Land and, and you realize how um, utterly free you unconstrained you are as, as a writer. I mean, here he's all over, not just the map, he's all over the solar system and he's all over the time space continuum, you know, makes it look easy, you know? And you, so why can't you do that? I could, I could write about, I could write about salmon if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'd rather go fishing for him, but you know. <laughs> well, you know, talking about that Dwarves book, I was thinking that um, non, mystery writers, non-genre writers, think that people who write mysteries only read mysteries, whereas I, I found some of the widest readers to be mystery writers. Mm. You know, I mean, like you're writing, you're reading literary fiction, right? And so it's interesting, you know, that, that genre writers can be stereotyped um, that way in terms of even what we read. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That's very true. I, I know a lot of I know a lot of mystery writers after all these years and stuff, and 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 many of them are. Um, I mean, they're 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 erudite beyond 
you know, comparison with me. I mean, they just, they've read so much and, and, and know so much, everything, everything. And, 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 and yet when it comes time for them to write a book, you know, they choose that genre and they stay there because they're comfortable and, and they're, you know, successful probably. And, 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 and it's, and it's easy, it's, it's easy to do, but, but we do, you know, I, I, and they certainly pay a lot of attention to, you know, to good writing and, and, uh, you can you can find that kind of thing everywhere. You know, there are great, they're really well written mysteries, thrillers out there, and then there are a lot of books that that go you know beyond that genre uh, beautifully. And 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 there's also books that go beyond that genre, you know, terribly, and then they're unreadable. You know, so there's there's good writing in both in both camps. I think. You know, um, two weeks ago when we were on, I believe a question came through about a thousand steps in terms of film because whoever asked the question, I think had read the book and had, had said, this, this novel has to be made into a film. Hmm. So do you hear anything about that? Is, is that gonna happen? People say that all the time. I mean, readers say that all the time. That wasn't the first time. I said it when I finished it. I thought, oh, this is a, yeah, this is a, this is a Netflix miniseries for sure, or whatever, you know, or, or maybe even a movie because it's, so, it's just so visual and it's so different. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought, oh, wow, this is a dazzler. Hollywood's going to flip when they see this. And so anyway, the book is out there. I have a good, a good Hollywood agent, you know, out there sending the book out to people and, and trying to get them to read it. And, 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 and as my, you know, my, my agents always tell me, you know, that my literary agents, you know, that, well, Jeff, you know, there's nothing harder in publishing than getting Hollywood to read any book, you know, let alone yours, you know, so it, it's like, they're, you know, Hollywood's notorious for not reading, but, but, you know, they actually do, they, they read everything. And, and if they, if they like this book, they'll, they'll make something out of it. You know, the, the, the practical downside to making uh, a thousand steps into a movie is that it's, 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 it's a period piece in period, they call it period. Uh, period in Hollywood is, is a pejorative term, you know, it, 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 it's expensive, it's hard to do, um, it's much easier to shoot a contemporary-ish, you know, modern story than it is something that, that you know, will have changed so much in, you know, half a, half a century, you know, you know, right. Thousand Steps took place, you know, 50 years ago, you know, the story. So anyway, they'd have to recreate this whole world, make it convincing. And so that's a downside. You know, the, the, the upside to it is, is uh, which is also a downside, <laughs> they tell me, <laughs> is, uh, the upside and the downside is the same. The upside is, uh, one of the upsides is that um, there's, there's no star. There's no star in a thousand steps. You know, the hero is a 16 year old boy who has a paper route for crying out loud. You know, the upside is that because there's no star, we can shoot it for less. <laughs> we don't have to drop, we don't have to pay $5 million to Keanu Reeves. You know, we can pay whatever, $500,000 to the, to, to the next Tom Cruise dancing around and acting like he did and whatever that was when he's in his underpants and he's playing an 18 year old kid, you know? Right, right. So anyway, business. It's, it's funny. Yeah, uh, who knows, who knows what they'll do, but I, I hope somebody will take some interest in it. Cool. Mm. Well, we're we're going over our time, which is not a problem for me, but um, maybe we should close with, I have all these other things. Um, I don't know, any advice you've received along the way that has stayed with you, you know, that maybe you, you got in college or maybe from an agent or maybe from a writer at some point that, that hasn't hasn't left you? Well, you know, uh, I, I can't think of a, a, a direct line verbatim, but, but one of the things that all my, my formative people from my parents, my siblings, to my friends on up through time, 
uh, have always kind of uh, um, told me is, is, is it especially, you know, first as, as a human being, you have to kind of believe in yourself and trust your own judgment. And, and as a writer, you have to do that even more. You have to, you have to believe that what you have to say or are trying to say is 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 worthwhile and 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 believe in it you know and 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 and, and believe that you can uh, you can you can do this it, it's real easy to get uh, um, discouraged and not discouraged get afraid uh, of your next book you know I mean ever since I sat down to write my second book Little Saigon I you know I, I the first question I ask myself in in, in in you know early in the morning when I'm waddling out with my coffee and my dog is, is, you know, do you really think you can do this again? You know, you got away with it once, <laughs> you know, do you think you can do it again? And here I am 28 books later, 27 books later. And the first thing that I'll ask myself when I sit down to write the next one is, is, can you do this? So you got to believe in yourself. You got to, you got to, you got to go through it. You got to be, you just got to believe that you can do it. Yeah. Well, I have to say, you know, you mentioning all, all those novels, I think I've read every single book of yours. I don't <laughs> think I can say that about anybody else who has many novels. Um, mm -hmm. So I always look forward to the next one. And uh, I, well, I I'm honored. I'm honored. Wish you Thank great you. good luck with this, this one. I mean, it's already re gotten so many wonderful reviews and, you know, be nice to see it in film. Yeah, it really would. Thank you, Barbara. It's great to talk to you. Thanks, Jeff. And thank all of you for sticking with us and, and coming back to the YouTube channel and watching um, this interview with T. Jefferson Parker. His book is A Thousand Steps, and I wish I still had it in front of me as I did two weeks ago. Um, do you have it right there? Oh, I do. You betcha. <laughs> Hold it up. Let's see the cover. It's got such a great cover. We have to put it up here. Yeah, it has such a great cover. Such a great cover. There it is. Um, yeah, <laughs> wonderful. So thank you, Jeff, and thank you, everybody who has, uh, everyone who's been watching. Until next time. All right, sounds good. That was T. Jefferson Parker, author of A Thousand Steps. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. You can find out more by going to penonfire.com. And again, if you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com and look up Writers on Writing, and we appreciate anything you could possibly do to help us along. Thanks so much. Stay in the seat. See you next week.